Thank you for tuning in to the Educational Leadership Podcast. We are meeting with educational leaders from around the great state of Texas. Hear their stories and gain insights into educational leadership. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining another episode of the Educational Leadership Podcast. We have another great guest, and we have our co-host, Corinne French. And today we have a board member from Friendswood ISD, Tony Hopkins. Tony, thanks for joining us today. It's my pleasure to be here with you. It's a it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And uh, and Corinne, pleasure to have you here as well. Thanks again, Gary. We're excited to talk about school boards, governance, tips, and encouragement for leaders today. And we're so glad to have you, Tony. Always a pleasure to be on with you, Corinne. It's uh, uh, Corinne and I have gotten to spend a lot of time together working on the TASB board and. Uh, she always brings a lot of energy. So when she asked uh, me to join this podcast, it was an easy yes. Mm, thank you. Thanks. Tony, Corinne's had so many great things to say about you. So I, I know I'm excited myself to have you on the podcast and just be able to have a conversation with you. And um, I was looking at your profile on the Friends with ISD. Looks like you're involved in sporting events, right? Uh, as an Yes, that actually is kind of how I first got it, sir, uh, started serving. Uh, it actually started way back in seventh grade. Our junior high coach uh, suffered a knee injury, and he said, Tony, why don't you come do a junior high girls track meet? Follow the next day by, next day by a uh, junior high boys track meet. And all throughout high school, I did that. Uh, and then into college, I thought I wanted to do that as a profession, uh, but started in 1994 as the voice of the friends with Mustangs football team. And 28 years later, I'm still doing it. Uh, even though I said I was never coming back to friends I'm still there. And so it's, it's something that uh, the novelty wore off a little bit in college, but I still get to have fun on Friday nights. That's awesome. Yeah. You get to be a part of the game. So not just watch the game, be a part of it. And, um, and your professional backgrounds impressive as well, but let's talk, let's talk about, schools. And so you're on the board at Friendswood ISD. How did you get to that point? What made you, uh, what, what was the path or journey that led you there? So it, for me, uh, service has always kind of been a, a big part of my life. I, it actually started even um, probably around the age of eight or nine. Uh, and so I've always been heavily involved in community service. And uh, as that as that kind of developed over time, uh, was married, moved back to Friendswood, uh, where I graduated from high school. And one of my mentors kind of in business, uh, he called me, it was in June of 2008 and said, I've got an opportunity for you. And I, I actually thought he wanted me to do something at church on a Sunday morning. He said, no, I think you need to run for school board. And so 2008, you have to realize I have a two-year-old. Uh, so don't have older kids. And I'm like, uh, we had a few uh, controversial things that had happened in the spring of 2008. And so five of the seven seats were going to be up for uh, election in November. We're November elections. And so they said, you know, basically the, the person I was going to replace had been on the board for 13 years, had a kind of a financial background, also had a legal background. And uh, this person knew that the church I was involved in, I had done all their financings, even though I was in my early 20s, um, had done all the financings of their buildings, including, you know, three, four or five million dollar financings. And he said, we need, and then also my background personally is that uh, I've been involved in mergers and acquisitions on a very large scale in domestic power and business. And so he said, we really need somebody with your financial aptitude to join the board. 
they also knew that I was highly committed to Friendswood uh, and to seeing the schools succeed. And so my wife, uh, she probably still regrets it to this day, but she said, yeah, this is what you need to do. It was probably earlier than I would have I would have planned, I, I planned to run for something at some point, uh, just that was in my nature. I'm always, always been a political uh, creature, I guess. Uh, and so he, he asked, and I said, sure. And then I went and met with a, a bunch of folks in town that were interested in me running. And uh, the final sales pitch before I said yes was the, um, our, as I said, our elections are November. Uh, he said, nobody's going to run against you. And I said, why is that? He said, you get to speak to all the voters in town on Friday nights from September through November, right in the heart of election season. And so I've been very fortunate. I've been up for election four times and I've been unopposed four times. So those are the best kind of elections. Wow. Uh, and hopefully, as I'm kind of looking out in the future, I'll probably run one more time. Uh, my son graduates in 2024 and my daughter graduates in 2028. So if I do one more term, I can get through my daughter graduating. Um, and that's, I will tell you, that's a bias of mine. And I think it, Personally, if I could advocate for other school districts, I think it should be a bias of other school districts that you need to have parents of uh, kids currently in the district on the board. And I've always thought that that should be a majority. And so that kind of helps me frame when I probably would roll off of the board. But I think there's just a, a level of feedback and information flow that you get uh, to where if you had zero, I think that would be bad. Do you need to have seven? No, but I think it's good to have um, parents with with kids of different ages in the district so that you're just you're, you see things and you hear things that um, we're right now at the point where we only have three of the seven on our board uh, that are that in that position because we've had a number number of folks on our board that have had kids graduate out in the last one to two years and so we're now that I'm moving to high school and junior high age kids I'm hearing a different information flow than I've had for most of my career which is when I had zero to fifth grade kids. I, I love that idea of um, kind of knowing when you might want to roll off. Uh, I'm not sure I like the idea for you. I think maybe two more terms, but, um, but what- we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have to see. That's, that's always yeah. kind of been the, the, we have a current board member who's been on the board for 26 years. He's been on and off and on and off. And, um, and the longest term, I'm, I'm, I do have a natural affinity for doing things longer than anybody else. So Friendswood's only had four voice of the Mustangs. Uh, one of them still lives in town, was in the second graduating class from Friendswood in 1941 and still works at the age of 97. Uh, and so he was the voice of Mustangs for about 20 years. And so when I passed him, I was like, oh, that's a good accomplishment. Our longest consecutive member of the board was 19 years. So if I go to 20, I'm one more. Uh, so, you know, I'm also kind of the historian of our school district. So I like keeping track of things like that. Well, and I appreciate that knowing that, but I'm wondering what do y'all do? Do you have a board academy or some kind of a prep to have to make sure your replacement is there? I mean, I think it's, well, I do think it's wise to make sure that they're, the parents are represented on the board, but um, how do you go about that? Do you have someone that you are kind of eyeing up like the person did to you? Well, that's a great question. We have not done, we've talked about doing a formal leadership academy. We've never put it in place yet. Uh, we're a long tenured board. And, and I think there's some things as we talked through today on this podcast that we might be able to do in friends with that may not work for every district. Uh, right now, I'm going to try to rattle these off, but our board members have been on for 26, 16, 13, 13, 
11, five and one. And so this is the least experienced board we've had in a long time uh, because we have a five and a one. Uh, for a long time, we had, we had most of us had started basically at the same time in 2008 or sooner. And so uh, we, we've had one person roll off and then another one roll off recently and probably we'll have one more roll off next year. Uh, so as those folks have rolled off, uh, we, you know, we've hi highly encouraged folks to get involved in district committees. Mm -hmm. So, you know, somebody that might be, uh, might be a future board member, we try to get them involved in our education foundation and our super superintendents advisory committees, our bond committees. Uh, that's how, when I came on in 2008, two of our new board members um, were both part of the bond committee that had just passed a bond in 2007. And so, you know, as we look at it, uh, our newest board member that was elected last November was the same way. She was involved in our education foundation, our bond committee, our strategic plan committee, and so had been heavily involved. And it allows you to see really the community to see that person and for that person to learn the district. And so folks that have expressed interest because it does take a long time for somebody to roll off of our board, uh, that's what I encourage them to do. That way they can see how it works, understand how the financial aspects work uh, and understand really our strategic plan, which for the first time, uh, I think this is one thing that's big for us. We hired a new su uh, superintendent. He's now in his fifth year. So it was in 2017. Uh, uh, replaced a long-term 15-year superintendent. Mm -hmm. And one of his big things was we needed to do a, a new strategic plan. That strategic plan was not one of the plans that just goes up on the shelf. Uh, it's something that uh, is a living, breathing document that we're talking about all of the time. And so uh, having somebody that was involved in crafting that plan was really helpful with our new board member, Nikki Rhodes, when she came on. She understood a lot of the whys behind it, uh, was heavily involved, can actually explain it and um, communicate that even as a first-year board member. So that's what we try to do. Instead of doing a formal leadership academy, you know, unlike a lot of other districts where I know, especially, especially right now, a week before, not even less than a week ahead of elections in November, we don't have three, four people running for every position every single year or for us every other year. Uh, so it's kind of grooming folks through that process, I think is, is really, really key. And so we, we have one board member, he's been very op um, open and vocal that uh, his last kid graduated last year. He's rolling off next November. And so there's a number of folks that have expressed interest and, and really my job is not to pick somebody uh, but I can help encourage folks and try to get them involved. Uh, and so that's that's one thing our board tries really carefully to do. Um, it, it annoys, I think, some folks that you don't see us out there uh, endorsing new candidates. We try not to. We try to say, hey, here's all the candidates, um, but we will try to, to talk to and encourage folks to, to run uh, to make sure we've got some good candidates out there and then, and then let the community decide from there. Uh, but you know, historically, we won't put our we won't put school board member signs out in our yards unless we're running and we were running as a slate, for instance. Uh, that happened in 2008, even though I didn't have an opponent. There was uh, four or five of us that were running kind of as a slate and only one had an opponent. Well, it sounds like you will have a, a very clear process, which is great to kind of get people developed and ready and prepared um, so they don't somebody doesn't come on the board and just, you know, the, 
deer in the headlights kind of kind of look. Will go ahead. What are um, so right now? There's a lot going on within school boards. I've I've seen it on the news. You know, of course, the news it has has their own bias to certain things. Um, what what is because uh, you got COVID, you got all this other stuff going on. Is there a certain topic that you're passionate about that that you stand behind that you're you know? Well, I, I so the reason, and I there may be a quote on our website. I don't think it's changed actually in 13 years, but I, I firmly believe this. And and actually, for school board members that may be listening to this, I'm hopeful that. Uh, we have a pair of teachers and four students that have submitted a proposal as of yesterday to, to come to winter or governance camp, uh, using the old term uh, that TASB puts on in Galveston in early March of next year. And I got to do, um, it's kind of a, a different style of classroom. Uh, it's all project-based learning. It combines English and history at the junior level for our regular students. So not low level students, not high level. Uh, we have a big focus on reaching our middle students that we're not getting any special extras given to them. And so this program is actually in its fifth year and they really make these students think and take challenging topics. And so one of the reasons I bring this up is there's a lot of controversy right now about teaching controversial topics. Well, if you listened uh, to their presentations last year, and, and this will be some of the stuff that's covered, they're effect effectively having to do their persuasive paper through a, a project called Change My Mind. And so last year we had, we had students arguing pro-choice and pro-life pro positions. We had uh, students arguing for different sides of LGBTQ rights and how they should be done. You name it, taxes, whatever the subject was, every controversial subject was on that list. And the students were required to research it, defend it, and then they came in and debated it with fellow students and with teachers. And what I, I've heard, this is I think the fourth year they've done it last year, is the best part is when a teacher can't defend their position and a student can out-argue them. And so it's interesting, but it's all civil. And so it's one of the things that I love is to see civil discourse. Uh, probably the only time I get perturbed as a board member is I don't, I don't deal well with uh, somebody that's just not making rational arguments. I don't have patience for it. That's the one point I, I, I lose my patience uh, as a board president. That's I'm actually, I think probably <laughs> would be described as a very patient person, but that's, when, that's where I lose my patience. Uh, so I think it's great to see civil discourse. Now, back to your original question, what makes me passionate? And it was part of this class. I went for the first time, I got to actually go uh, give this uh, a model presentation or a model talk. And it's uh, their first lesson is called This I Believe. And it's modeled off of uh, uh, NPR does a, a similar segment. And that's kind of how they came up with this, this first nine weeks project. And so my statement the, that you come in and argue over why you believe that and how it's affected you is I firmly believe with a good education and hard work that you can achieve whatever you want in the United States. Um, I, I've added that last phrase on uh, probably since I first got on the board because I, I traveled internationally. I've seen that we have opportunities in the U.S. that other places don't necessarily have. 
Um, but I firmly believe no matter where you start, whether your parents are both college educated, whether you're in a two parent home or one parent home, whatever race you're from, whatever economic um, class you're in in Texas, uh, whether you speak English to start when you start in kindergarten or not, with a good education and hard work, and that's that second part, which I think we have to stress more than anything right now, you can achieve whatever you want. And you can see that in our society today. There's, there's not a caste system here. You see every day somebody break out from a lower economic strata to the next strata to the next strata, if that's what they want to do. Uh, and so if you have a good idea, you can create value. Um, and, and to me, I think it all starts with good education. If you have that good base of skills and then find something that you're passionate, uh, passionate for that can add value to the world, you can have a successful life or sex, a successful living and achieve kind of what you want. And, and so I think what I've tried to do in Friendswood is we have, and have for a long time, I think we're considered a very, very uh, high rated school district. Uh, people have moved to Friendswood really since the 1960s and before that, uh, NASA was really the, the boom that made Friendswood explode in size from a little town of 2,500 people that was basically a Quaker colony. Uh, and so for me growing up, I was surrounded by astronauts. Seeing an astronaut and having a neighbor go up in space wasn't a big deal. And you just, now I realize how lucky we were. Uh, you know, at one point earlier this year, we had, we had three astronauts up on the space, uh, three parents of students on the space station at the same time. And friends with that was last year. And so now it's like, okay, we need to have that sense of wonder and awe. And there's, you know, one of the guys was from Italy. One of the guys I believe was from Korea. The other was from the US. And so they all got good educations. They followed their dreams. You know, there was a lot of failure. Our current mayor is a former astronaut that applied. It was the seventh time before he got through into the astronaut program, but that was his dream. He got the right education, did all the right things and progress. Me, I always wanted to be either a sports announcer or or I used to make runs to the bank at the age of eight. And so I would learn from the, the old guys eating their donuts on Saturday morning. And so that com combination of education in the classroom, plus the real life experience, plus a little drive, I think, I think kids can achieve whatever they want. And so I want to have a school district that affords those opportunities. And so that's really for me is providing the opportunities uh, and having a good district where, the, where kids can explore their, their passive interests and, I, and now as a TASB board member, I wanna see that across the state because it is the great uh, equalizer. You know, our, our demographics in Texas may be a little more challenging than Massachusetts or some other states, uh, but there's great things happening in the state. And that's, that gets me excited as a, a state school board member. When I see things like uh, McAllen had the uh, superintendent of the year a year ago, and they have a great culture and so that's, that's another thing that I think helps us in Friendswood is we have a culture of education that dates back to the founding of our town in 1895. And it was always faith, family, and education. Wow. And what I think, and you'll hear our superintendent talk about it. You'll hear our uh, city council and mayor. You'll hear us as school board members. We'll talk about that in, in, in the school building, uh, that those are the three pillars that Friendswood was founded on. And what I saw in McAllen is you have a they have totally different demographics than us, but they have a culture and a community buy-in that education is the way, the path to a better life for their kids. And so that's what that's that was that's what gets me fired up. Yeah, it's, you covered a lot there and you got me thinking too. 
and um, you know, faith, you know, family, that that type of culture you have within Friendswood. I so I, I went to school at Channel View growing up, right? Yep. And so we had some football games against Friendswood. I was in the band, and um, but I got had the opportunity to make some friends with friends, some of the students from Friendswood, and you come out there to that to, to that school district, and you can literally feel the environment that you know just the connection and the the community within within Friendswood. So it makes sense that that was kind of the the beginning uh, vision of, if you will, uh, of of the district and of the community uh, because it is it is a tight knit community. Um, but it's it's interesting. An other point you think other thing you mentioned was about that that debate between the students and the teachers and the so it, Corinne, I don't know about you, but it, it, it kind of reminds me of, of one of our previous podcasts. We're talking about certain districts, not many, but there's some that um, try to push a certain ideology or a certain way of doing things versus it's a novel concept, right? How about teach students how to think for themselves and and have a discussion about it? I mean, Corinne, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I, mean, I, I just saw the I don't know if we're going to get this controversial or not, but I just saw a list of some some books that people are asking, you know, do you have these books in your district? And I some of those books are books that I've read. And I'm thinking, I, I wonder if some of these senators have ever read the books, you know, like, and I think there's, I think, I think we're a little bit afraid that students can't think for themselves. And I think the high school students they can do it. They can have civil discourse. They and, and then when you get here where I work with college students, they're definitely able to do it. It does seem a little bit like the the families and maybe there are certain organizations that are just really really afraid of that. Um, and that's uh, you mentioned controversy, Tony. Like when you when you got on the board earlier, your first time. I think controversy is something that. Is happening right now and I think some people are capitalizing on this controversy with boards do you have advice for that like how do we how do we as board members who care so much about all of the students so right like our, our own personal students and our own personal families are important but thinking of the 5.5 million who might not all have family right some of them school is family um we got to we got to keep it together as board members. So do you have any any advice, Tony, for like those of us who are still going to do this for several more years and how to stay the course? Well, uh, so I'll use a couple of examples. It's funny. We had a board meeting on Monday night and somebody said to me, oh, did you see what the COVID numbers are? And I'll be honest. I said, I've stopped looking at them because it really doesn't, number one, they're next to zero. I think we were at four out of 7,000 employees and students, we had four cases. I said, I've stopped looking at them because we don't have a COVID issue anymore. And we're doing, we we estimated Friday night, we had homecoming at, uh, at, the, at Henry Winston Stadium in Friendswood. And we think we may have had the largest home crowd ever uh, mm -hmm. at a football game. It was just, I think people were dying. We had two years worth of reunions. We had uh, two, two years worth of class reunions. We had a 50th class reunion for two classes with like 90 people there. And I, my guess is that they probably had 200 students total uh, in those two classes. So we had a lot of folks back. And so I think there was just an energy. Uh, and so, you know, 
that that was something that um, I just it, it was a realization that I don't even think about COVID right now. We haven't talked about it at a school board meeting in six six weeks mm-hmm. uh, because we're just we're rolling along and we're trying to provide the best education possible. But we've had a lot of conversations about COVID. We haven't had the, uh, you know, Corinne, I know you're up near Dallas. There's a lot more conversations around CRT and other things uh, that, that have happened there. I, I do get questions about it. Uh, but what I will say, whether it's that situation or other, you know, once every three or four years, we have a good little controversy and the, 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 new stations will show up and so on and so forth. And what I've found and what I found throughout this, uh, the, the COVID process is if you just stop and talk to folks now, it's easier. We're, uh, we're a little bigger than Corinne's district, uh, but we're a lot smaller than some other districts. We stop and we talk and it takes a lot of time. Uh, our superintendent or myself stop and respond to every single email or every single phone call that we get a message that may be left for us. And, um, you know, this year, it actually probably took more time this year than it did last year, because uh, we had, we went back, we've had no masks, we've done, we, you know, basically, we have almost zero COVID pro- protocols in place. I mean, they're very, very light compared to other districts. It's just where our community was and where we felt comfortable after seeing everything last year. And so, there were some folks that were really worried about that. And so we would stop. And I remember having on a Friday night, an hour and a half conversation with one person and over a weekend probably had 13 hours and our superintendent had similar. But when you get through those conversations, you find what's at the root of um, the root of the fear or the root of the conversation. A lot of times it is a fear, Uh, like that hour and 15 minute conversation uh, was with a doctor whose uh, kid was coming to school for the first time in person, and they had been held out for 18 months and isolated because they were in a high-risk position as a doctor. And they just, more than anything, they wanted their kid to have a normal school and a normal schooling life and not to be afraid. And, you know, is my advice, don't be afraid. It's going to be okay for your seven-year-old or six-year-old. I'm not sure which one it was. So, yeah, it's going to be Okay. Um, and, you know, if somebody gets upset about how, um, a a teacher has handled an incident, uh, how a principal has handled an incident, how us as school board members or superintendent handle something, you stop, you talk through the issue. Normally you can come to a solution, but you have to bring the temperature down. Mm -hmm. You don't, you know, it's, it's really hard to do that. And for somebody that's never come to a school board meeting, they, number one, they don't know the Open Meetings Act rules, which means we have to sit there almost like statues as a school board member. It's really hard not to respond. And, and we can't react. We can't uh, talk back and forth. They don't realize that they can't then join the conversation as we debate. Like when we were debating COVID rules, we had folks wanting to chime in. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, and I was the board president. I've been the board president for almost three years now. And so it's like, this is, the, you know, we walk them through the process um, if they're new. But it's, I think it's a having a lot of those pre-conversations. If I see, if, like as board president, if I see somebody on the public comment list and there may be something that they need to know to make it clear, when we come, the way our meetings work is we come out of executive session normally on a normal meeting. And if I see something and they may need to know some additional things before I call us back into regular session, I'll go to that person. And I'll say, hey, remember this. 
you know, remember, we're not going to we're not going to bring up student names. Uh, you can mm -hmm. describe the situation. We've had a few of those over the last year uh, where a parent was really, really hot and not happy with the discipline that, uh, that was put in place for a student, even though that's exactly what our code of conduct said. Um, you know, it was a mandatory. This is what it is. And I said, you know, you're going to have your chance to speak. Please follow up with us via email. Please follow us with phone call, even though we had had a lot of those conversations. But I think it's that conversation making folks feel heard and then finally transparency. And one of the things that I like about our current superintendent, um, we run a very flat organization. So we don't have, um, because we're kind of in that little gray zone between big districts and small districts, we have one person do a lot of jobs. Uh, we have one person in accounts payable, one person in accounts receivable, one person that just does certain uh, benefits. Uh, well, we have one person in communication. And our superintendent, one of his things when he interviewed, he said, I want to be proactive in my com uh, communication. So he's, you know, I see a lot of superintendents now. I follow a lot of them. He's one of the best proactive communicators. And I think if you ask anybody in Region 4, they would agree with that. He's constantly on Facebook, Twitter, every social media, pushing out content. We added, we made a strategic investment to add another person into our communication department that brought more video um, production abilities. And so the combination of those two, two people are constantly putting out what our story is. Mm. And so we're not reacting. And so, you know, there's a lot of conversation around CRT right now. Do I think that in our district, and probably in most districts in Texas. Is there CRT content being taught? Probably not. It's not part of the TEKS. Uh, you may have some teachers that are bringing in aspects of it, uh, but I don't think I see it in our district. And so if people ask questions, I'll answer them. And then we'll put out there, here's what we are teaching. Um, I think it's interesting when, when folks from both the left and the right see this change my mind and see that it's students deciding Mm -hmm. it makes it really interesting because they're the ones it's that student voice it's that student conversation and probably you know I've asked the teachers of that class they said you know we we don't we're very raw and open about uh, how we got to where we are today but one of the teachers is pretty far to the right one's pretty far to the left and they try to keep themselves out of it but they also mm -hmm. can identify with students from both sides so we have I think we're we're lucky that we have a good balance in that particular uh, program on how they handle so what could be a really hot button issue, um, but it uh, you know it allows that to happen, and so that's you know yeah. I think it's transparency, communication, um, and letting folks feel like they're heard, even if you aren't going to give them the decision you want, mm -hmm. if they feel like they've been heard, and they understand the rationale for why, most of the time they they'll be accepting. I agree. I, I, I like we said, bring the temperature down. I think I, I kind of say the statement that crowds want to be managed. People want to be listened to. People want to be, people actually want leadership. When it comes down to it, they really, I do think people want, want leadership. And so even if it's, even with COVID, if it was a decision that people didn't like, I think getting that, that the information out there was, is, was the most helpful. So districts who were communicating, letting you know that was that was helpful, so that the parents weren't wondering what's happening. So, getting ahead and, of information is important. 
And I think, Corinne, you make a great point on leadership. Uh, I, I'm watching some of the news feeds from other states and uh, Mid-Atlantic District, I think, uh, announced Wednesday of this week they were canceling school for all of next week. Now, they were already off like Monday, Friday or something, but they just decided on four days notice to cancel school. And like our community, we got a lot of double working families. That doesn't work. You can't plan. You've got to plan it out in advance. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if you plan it out in advance, you give the rationale, you give a lot of information. That's a good thing. You know, when I went and spoke to that particular class, they said, well, what are some of the hard decisions? And I said, they started asking questions about different decisions. They asked about masks, naturally. And I said, well, last March, I voted to keep you in masks through the end of the school year, even though a lot in our community did not want that. But I said, the reason, the sole reason I did is the way the state rules worked is if you had a mask on, even if the guy two feet from you has COVID, if you've kept your mask on, I'm not sending you home. And I wanted my teachers and my students and my freshman son, I, he didn't miss one day of school last year. He was in class every single day. I want him in the classroom because the best way to get an education, and I think we've firmly seen it, is to have great teachers in classrooms and have the kids in those classrooms too. And I said, as long as you had your mask on last year with the rules we had in place around close and personal contact, you were going to stay in class. And I didn't want you out of class. I didn't want to send the class of 24 home for one person having it. Because no. the other thing that I've learned was we don't see transmission in the schools. And like our, our Galveston County um, Health District will tell you, all the transmissions they're seeing in school is because of whatever's happening in the community. Mm -hmm. The schools aren't the cause. They're just the reflection of the community. And so it was interesting talking through and like I had one of the students in that class ask like nine questions. I show up for the improv theater event. <laughs> and he's like, hey, you're the school board president. I got a couple more questions I didn't get to ask you. And I've seen him now at that. At Mac he was in at Macbeth. I went to saw Macbeth. And he's just asking all these questions. And it's great. Uh, his theater teacher said, this was a kid that was on the verge of dropout last year. Mm. And he is now fully engaged. And it's like, when I hear those stories, it makes what I'm doing it, as a school board member spending all the time and the heartaches uh, sometimes, uh, it makes up for those, those hard days. Well, That's Tony, beautiful. Tony, this has been super exciting. Like every, everything you shared. And obviously there's some districts out there. It's funny, when we do the podcast, we learn something unique from each district we talk to. And I, I think there's definitely some things that other districts could could learn from as far as teaching students to think for themselves. That could be one thing. I'm sure there's other districts out there that do that, but there's probably some that don't as well. And, you know, that sense of community, that listening, the leadership side of things. And I just want to thank you for being on the podcast. I know we've ran over a little bit here and, and I want to respect y'all's time. And, um, and for those that have been listening in, Thank you for tuning in to the Educational Leadership Podcast. Love to have Tony on again because I, there's some other topics that I would love to dive into that we're, we touched on briefly. And I um, want to give a shout out to our sponsor as well, Ideal Impact. Ideal Impact provides funding to school districts. They're a faith-based company. They produce additional revenue for school districts. And the, that revenue actually pays for their project and gives the school district revenue. And it's guaranteed. There's a guarantee associated with it. And so energy being the second largest expenditure of a school district, definitely worth looking into. And thanks again for everyone tuning in to the Educational Leadership Podcast.